Hi, I'm Lisa Kudrow, producer of Who Do You Think You Are? And you're listening to Genealogy Gems Podcast. Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's a show filled with family history research strategies and techniques, news and entertainment, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to Genealogy Gems podcast episode number 170. It is good to be back at the microphone. I have been on the road for several weeks, gosh, almost three weeks now, and I'm back home in Texas. It's good to be back in Texas. And I was on the Unlock the Past genealogy cruise. It was of the British Isles. Uh, Bill went with me. We had a wonderful time visiting places in Northern Scotland, in uh, Ireland. We went to Dublin, uh, the Isle of Guernsey, and we stopped and visited um, the Normandy beaches in France. So it was just uh, an incredible itinerary of locations that uh, I don't know I'll ever get to see again, but boy, it was wonderful to be there. And we had amazing weather. I mean, we packed lots of layers and I kept looking online at the weather channel and it kept saying, Oh, Scotland, you know, 65 degrees. <laughs> and we get up there and it's 85 degrees. And of course they kept announcing it in Celsius. So I was absolutely clueless as to what temperature it was until we got outside the ship each day. But we didn't pack shorts or flip flops or anything like that because we had expected 60 degrees every day. And then, of course, you could imagine Scotland wasn't exactly prepared for 85 degrees. And so you go into the shops, nobody's selling shorts <laughs> or flip flops or fans or anything. Um, there was a lot of wool sweaters and I wasn't really in the wool sweater mood, but um, we did manage to do a little bit of shopping. I uh, had a wonderful time. Uh, Paul Blake was on the trip with us. I uh, just saw him on the Rachel McAdams episode of Who Do You Think You Are? Um, Eileen O'Doul and her husband, Sean. Uh, Eileen is a fantastic Irish researcher. And Sean is just one of those epic storytellers who you could just listen to for hours. And his uh, specialty is Irish folklore. And oh my gosh, you could just spend <laughs> hours and hours hearing his stories and some of the old traditions uh, in Ireland. Let's see who else was there? Jackie Dupel and Marie Dugan and just so many wonderful people. Uh, Helen Smith and Alona Tester. So um, we had a wonderful time. And when I got back, Bill and I had a 15-hour layover at home in Dallas. And then it was straight back into the air to head to Indianapolis for the Midwestern Roots Conference. And I have never been to that conference before. They hold it every two years. And the Indiana Historical Society is a major sponsor of that event. And it was absolutely fantastic. I was really impressed, particularly since they had had someone at the helm for years doing that conference who retired this year. And so some new folks had to step up to the plate and execute it as usual. And they did a fantastic job. Marianne Sheline from the uh, Indiana Historical Society and her team, Cheryl and Allison. Um, oh my gosh, even Bill said, this is one of the best running conferences I've been to. He said, um, they were just on top of everything. It was really fun. Got to see Kurt Witcher there from the Allen County Public Library. And uh, I was so honored. He introduced me when I did my keynote presentation on Saturday morning. And uh, boy, I, I can just check that one off my list of wonderful things I could only hope that would ever happen. And that would be um, Kurt Witcher getting up and saying some very kind things about me uh, and introducing me to a wonderful audience of about 400 genealogists. So I gave a presentation that was brand new at this one. It was called Future Technology and genealogy. And I took them through the paces of one, ensuring that they're already making the best use of the current technologies that are out there uh, that you may not think of in terms of genealogy. And then we talked about um, the future and what that holds and some of the uh, exciting things coming down the pike and how genealogists might tap into them. And um, I'm hoping to share that presentation in a video format here uh, in the not too distant future as part of Genealogy Gems premium membership. So keep an eye out for that. 
Uh, so that one just was a whirlwind. And then it was uh, back home and boy, a really busy couple of three weeks, but fantastic Got to meet so many of you and welcome to, to all of you who are new to the show, who we got a chance to meet while we're on the road. We are so glad you're joining us here. Now, I have to uh, let you know, this is going to be a really fun episode. I am so excited to have Lisa Kudrow here. She's the executive producer of Who Do You Think You Are, the television series here in the U.S. Of course, you know her as Phoebe from Friends and uh, one of my favorite movies, Romy and Michelle. Um, Lisa has been on the show in the past and she's um, been so gracious with her time to join us here again. Uh, on the podcast. But before we jump into that, I want to follow up on a little teaser I did two episodes ago. Now, the last episode was a blast from the past where we republished a couple of uh, much older episodes. And that was as I was heading out the door on my trip. But the episode before that, some of you may remember, I know you'll hold my feet to the fire on this. I told you that I had some amazing and really exciting things happening in my own research. And yes, I want to take a few moments to share those with you, some of the things that have been happening. Uh, I do manage to get some of my own research done. <laughs> it's hard to believe um, with as busy as we are around here, but um, definitely I try to use my own family as much as I can in terms of being the guinea pigs for so much of what we do here at Genealogy Gems. And that includes in evaluating the products and services that uh, are available to genealogists that we are continually looking into and evaluating. Because of course, this show is all about bringing you the genealogy gems that are out there. And that's not just your ancestors, which we of course, oftentimes think of as the gems in our family tree. But it's also um, the idea that there is so much going on out there. I know you'll agree with me. So many websites, so much technology, so many um, people do giving classes and um, books to read. And it's just endless, right? And we want to definitely stay abreast of the latest and the greatest while not sacrificing time for our own research. And that is really what I do full time. I see my my role as uh, kind of an advocate for you to be out there really putting new services and products through their paces, getting a sense of uh, what they can do for us. And well, you might read about or hear about uh, brand new genealogy websites, you don't necessarily hear about all of them here. And that's for a very good reason. Because not all genealogy websites are created the same. <laughs> I mean, that's just the truth. Some can be very, very helpful, and others really are kind of more flash than substance. And and I shouldn't even just say genealogy websites, because as you know, I'm an advocate of any website or tool that can help me do a better job at my family history research. And so it doesn't have to be a genealogy site. But certainly, we get lots of press releases here about uh, new websites coming on board and um, what some of the existing websites and companies are doing. And so we try really hard to evaluate them, to interview them, to go back and ask questions on your behalf and say, what about this? What about that? And, and if they can't answer it, if it really isn't top notch, then it doesn't make what I would consider the list of genealogy gems. And we don't talk about them here on the show. Because I want you to come to this show knowing you're going to hear about the best of the best. So for quite a while, uh, my heritage has been asking me about doing some kind of a promotion together or perhaps sponsoring the podcast. And as you probably know, they currently do sponsor the podcast. But that was a long time in coming. And one of the reasons, and I'll just be honest with you, was because I wasn't convinced that my heritage had what I needed to really make a difference in my research. And again, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. And so I'm going to spend my time with yet another website, genealogy website. And my heritage is definitely a large player out there along the likes of Ancestry and Find My Past and uh, some of those major record websites. And I know that they've been acquiring a lot of other record sites trying to beef up uh, the record side of their portfolio. So 
Anyway, so I did a lot of research. I put Sonny Morton, our contributing editor, on the task to learn more about the company, to learn more about what it could offer researchers, and really, what's the bottom line benefit? Well, I found out recently, surprisingly, in my own research, um, I I looked through the records, and I certainly found some that were applicable to my research, but I had a lot of them already um, because I've been doing genealogy research for quite a while. But I decided to uh, go in full bore, and I uploaded my family tree to my heritage. Now, one of the things that I've heard is that one of their greatest strengths is their international customer base. And that's because, um, as you probably know, my heritage is uh, an Israeli company. And it started, obviously, not here in the US. And they have acquired a lot of major websites over the years throughout Europe. So this gives them a really, really unique customer base. And I never thought of that customer base as really making a difference to me as somebody who's doing research in the US. But it, then they made the point to me that, yeah, but all of those people have been putting up trees and um, looking at other people's trees and, and connecting in that community. So I went ahead and I uploaded my family tree. Now, I've definitely made contact over the years through my ancestry family tree uh, with people in the U.S. who are, you know, related in some way to the tree. But I have to say, it's it's been a long time goal of mine, a little dream, if you will, to one day make contact with uh, either my Nikolowski or Sporowski family. You've heard me talk about those surnames before in the show. That's my maternal great-grandparents who immigrated in 1910. And I think one of the reasons why I've always kind of had my eye on that goal is that my grandmother way back when I was eight years old, and she was scribbling down the notes and the phonetic spellings of the various names and what she and telling me what she knew about the family. I remember her talking to me about the fact that they used to get letters from the family left behind, particularly her mama's family, uh, the Nikolauskis. So I was always keenly aware, even from a very young age, that there are other people who are part of our family and they're probably living today and we don't know each other and they're probably back still in Germany. Well, it only took a couple of weeks to get an email and it was from a gentleman of the last name Rogolowski and the Rogolowskis married into the Nikolowskis. In fact, Louise's sister married a Rogolowski and that was one of the main names that my grandmother remembered besides just her mother's maiden name and her father's name. And I have to tell you, you know, we've all had those major thrills, those major finds and happy dance type moments. But the longer you research, sometimes they're a little fewer and farther between. I can't tell you how excited I was (laughs) when I opened that email and I realized that there was a German cousin getting in touch with me saying, hey, that's my tree. I recognize the people and wanting to connect. And in fact, he said that growing up, he had known his grandparents, who would have been the sister of my great grandmother, and remembers them. And he goes, I think I've still got some pictures. And, and he remembered the old little house that they lived in. And, and, and that's just floors me. I to this day, it's still you just want to pinch yourself and say, this is so cool. It's a very small world when you start to make connections like this. And it's opening up a whole nother world of research for me. In particular, one reason is because I have, I think I've told you about this here on the show before. I have the green velvet scrapbook that Louise's family pressed into her hands and gave her as she got onto the boat to come to America. Now, of course, I've looked at this scrapbook many times over the years, but there are no names written in it, except in the front cover. And it's taken me uh, a long time and actually some what we call a alternative light source we've talked about here on the show, kind of using a forensic technique to bring out this very light pencil writing on the inside front cover, um, which you can see an image of in the show notes. I actually used a photo editor and uh, darkened it up, played with the light and the contrast, and you can read it much better. 
it's clear that it was given to her in Lutgen Dortmund, which is the town that they last lived in before they immigrated. And it gives um, the date and then the names of some of her siblings. The scrapbook itself, you know, I look at those faces and I can see early pictures of Louise and Gus, uh, my great grandparents. The Sporowski men had very dramatic eyes. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. You can't miss them. And as you're looking through some of the pictures, you realize some of these must be siblings. And the one note that I had from grandmother was that he had seven brothers. So that kind of makes sense. But a lot of it just felt lost to me. But as we've talked about so many times here on the show, every day that you move on in your research, you're a better researcher than you were the day before. You have more experience under your belt and more information in your notebooks and on your computer. And so getting this email from a German cousin really made me think about this book again. I pulled it out and took a second, third, fourth look at it. And it occurred to me that maybe he could help me identify some of these people. Well, this launched me into a whole nother project in my own family history that I hadn't done before. And the first thing I did was to very carefully take each picture out one at a time in the order that they appear in the book. And I did very high resolution scans of them. Typically, you might do a 300 DPI scan. The minimum that I did was 600. And on some of them that had a lot of detail, I even went as high as a 1000. It makes for very large photos, you can't necessarily start emailing these around uh, when they get too large. But it was worth it to me to be able to really zoom in and see the detail and inspect these images closer. So to do a closer inspection, certainly scanning is your first step. I also just so you know, scan them as TIFF files, T-I-F-F. And this is different than a JPEG. Now you might normally think of doing JPEG files. I know some of the portable scanners out there only do JPEG files, but the problem is those create uh, compressed files, trying to make the images a smaller file size so they're easier to share. But every time you make a change to a JPEG file and you resave it, you lose just a little bit of quality. And so you want to work on TIFF files as uncompressed high resolution files. So I made the scans and as I was looking at them in Windows Explorer, um, the first thing I made sure was that I labeled them in such a way that they would appear in Windows Explorer in the same order as which they appear in the scrapbook. Now, if you put in descriptions or city names or whatever appears on the back of the card, they're going to get all mixed up, even if you've scanned them in order, obviously. So um, I did make an effort to go through and scan them, adding name conventions that would um, keep everything organized. So uh, rather than starting with one, I did 001 and then a dash and then um, some kind of a, a basic description. Thinking about keywords in the future, what might I want to search on in order to pull up one of these photographs. And by doing 001, it left me lots of room to go as high up as I needed to and still be able to keep things in numerical order. Obviously, if you start with one and you get to 10, then you go to 11, all of a sudden you could end up with things again out of order. So that got them in the correct order. I also made sure to scan the back as well as the front. So many of your old family photos probably have information about the photographer on the back. And not so much on these, but in other scrapbooks that I have from my grandmother's side of the family, sometimes they would put them in a scrapbook with glue, they'd rip them out, put them in something else. So sometimes only part of the information about the photographer actually appears on the back. Whatever you have, go ahead and scan it. And in fact, I'm actually pretty adamant on scanning the back of every old photograph that I have in my collection. Because more than once I have found if you do a high resolution scan the back and then again, you kind of play with those light sources, you start to see somebody did write on the back 
or there was a piece of paper and they wrote something and it, it actually dented into the back and you can read it. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but wouldn't it be amazing to find a very faint message or even something that was written through a second piece of paper that's been kind of embedded in the back of a photograph might be the clue that you're looking for. Very high resolution scans and then playing with those images in a photo editor with contrast and light and dark and sharpness could draw them out. So here I am sitting here with Windows Explorer and all of these various um, photographs and even a couple of postcards that were tucked in there. And as I inspected the backs of these photographs, I realized I may not have the name of the person, but I really do have a lot of information about the photographer. And this time around, since I was spending a much more concentrated effort looking at these, you know, asking myself, I wonder if there are any here that would be worth sending uh, to this new newly found cousin to see if he could identify them. All of a sudden, the photographer location meant a lot more than it used to, because I knew where he lived and I knew where he said the grandparents had lived at one point. And so what I decided to do was make folders. So I'm working in this Nikolowski photo folder on my computer, and then I made multiple different folders and named them by the location. So I have the Allenstein photos and the Berlin, the Bochum, Burr, Dortmund, all these different locations. Next, rather than moving the photograph and therefore kind of losing this entire collection I have that's in the order that they appear in the scrapbook, I copied each photograph into the appropriate location folder. So now when I go into the Ludgen Dortmund folder, I see just the folks who have photographs where the photographer location was in Ludgen Dortmund. This starts to really take um, a fairly large collection of photographs and bring more context to it. And <laughs> pretty quickly, I realized that, um, you know, you'll look at some of these distinct eyes, as I mentioned to you in the Sporowski family, and you start to see, oh, everybody in this folder seems to have that type of look to their eyes. So I'm starting to now get a sense of family groups, the possibility of some of these family groups. And rather than overwhelming my newly found German cousin with, you know, all of these pictures, which would be way too much, I could focus in on sending him first, just the group from Bolcom, which is uh, where the Rogolowskis had lived and uh, waiting to hear back what he uh, discovers there and if he spots anybody that he recognizes. So this is a great, great way to kind of do a visualization of records, photographs, whatever it is that you have, and be able to sort them and see them in different contexts. I even took it one step further and of course, turn to Google Earth. So what I did was flew to each one of these locations and even made my best attempt to go in and find the specific street addresses that are that are um, on the back of these cards for the photographers and find those locations today. And then add a place mark. So if you have Google Earth, you download the free software program, you do put the name of uh, the street name or just the town name, whatever it is you have from the back of your photograph into the search box. Fly there and it will take you to that location um, on Google Earth. And then zoom in as close as you can, click the push pin button, the place mark button in the toolbar at the top of uh, the Google Earth screen. And you can add the URL address, the address on the web in the cloud where you're going to host the photograph so that it can uh, appear in the place mark. So in this case, I have my own website. I was able to upload the photographs so that each one had their own unique URL address, copy the address for each photograph, put it into the box in the Google Earth place mark, and it will create the HTML code so that it displays the photograph each time you click the place mark. Now, if you don't have your own website, no problem. I recommend uh, there's a free website called photobucket.com. And I'm sure there are other free photo websites out there. But what I like about Photobucket is it allows you to upload your photograph, and then it assigns its own unique web page address to each photo. That may not be the case in doing something like um, Picasa or putting it into Dropbox. Even though it's cloud-based, it's not necessarily giving a unique URL address like www.mamaspicture.jpg, 
uh, that would be a unique address for a particular photograph. Um, it's going to just put it in a cloud storage file folder. So you need a website that can assign a unique web page address to the photo. And that's what PhotoBucket will do for you. So Google Earth then gave me another wonderful way to do a visualization and literally incorporating the map of Germany. Well, then the question becomes, why not an old map of Germany? And you can do that. So I went to davidrumsey.com and talk about that website all the time. Over 44,000 free old historic maps on David Rumsey did a search in the time frame that I'm looking at, like 1900 to 1920, and looking for one that is in Germany, hopefully West Germany, where they were at that time, so that I could create an overlay in Google Earth. So not only do we have the modern day 2014 map that appears in Google Earth, but you can overlay using the overlay button in the toolbar, an old historic map. Again, the map needs to be hosted online so that you have a unique URL address. But then the place marks will then appear in the old map. And maybe you'll get lucky in the town that you're researching and it will be a wonderful old map with all the old streets and the buildings even drawn in. Who knows? The possibilities are limitless. But to me, it's so exciting to not only look at photographs, but to create an entire visualization of those photographs in a bigger, broader context, and one that you can build on in your own genealogy research. Yes, I have been having a fabulous, fabulous time in my own research. I hope you are too. And I hope me sharing this story with you has kind of given you some ideas of some things that you might want to run with. But it doesn't stop there. Before I let you go, there was one photograph in particular that caught my eye this time around. Isn't it funny how different things catch us at different times. I've looked at this photograph so many times. It was uh, one that actually did not come from the green velvet scrapbook, but it's from the same time frame. And so as I was doing this project with the green velvet scrapbook, I tried to go back through my collection and pull out any other photos from the same time frame, the same people, the same family, because very likely some of these have come from the same scrapbooks and have been pulled out and made their way to me in different ways, if that makes sense, um, through the family. And I remember seeing them originally in the scrapbook. And then when the scrapbook came to me, they were actually separate. And I got them in a different box. So somebody pulled it out, took a look at it, whatever. Well, this is one that I believe I've shared uh, before on my website. And just recently, I actually posted it on Facebook because I was talking about the fact that when I got back from three weeks of travel, boy, you know, it took a week to dig my way out of all the laundry that we had generated from two different major trips. And of course, this is an old photograph um, from the Nikolowski family of my great grandmother, Louise Nikolowski, working in old laundry. There are six people in the photograph. And if you look very closely, the one who looks a little bit shy in the back is very clearly my great grandmother, Louise. She looks quite young. And um, I have never really paid a whole lot of attention. I always wondered why in the world a uh, commercial laundry of sorts, why a photograph of that would be in any of her belongings. And here she is so young, obviously not taking the picture, but I hadn't thought about it a whole lot more than that. I've gotten actually more focused in on, as I said, using alternative light sources and trying to see all the detail in the picture and that kind of thing. And, and this time around, here I am focused on this German relative who's gotten in touch with me. I've started looking at the collection in the Green Velvet book a little differently grouping it by location, thinking of it as family groups. And then it hits me. This is a family group. <laughs> I don't know why it never occurred to me before. I think I was so thrilled to actually identify Louise. I just assumed she was just one of the workers and maybe they gave her a copy of this. But as I looked more closely at it in combination with the green velvet scrapbook, it's clear to me that the gentleman stay on the left is one that appears in the scrapbook. And it makes sense. She has one brother. His name is Johan. That's Johan. So not only have I finally figured out 
the connection between this photo that came to me completely separately with all the rest of these. But once I matched up the face and then looked back at my genealogy database, I realized this is her brother, Johan, and that she's not by herself in this photograph of strangers. She's with a family member. What if the rest of these are family members? I know, maybe I'm just a little thick. It just took me a while, but you know how it is. You can look at something and you look at it within, with the glasses on of the time and, and the where your head is at in your research. And my goodness, I wouldn't want it to all happen in one day, would I? <laughs> so many decades later, I'm revisiting an old photo and I'm realizing, oh my gosh, okay, well, there's four other females in this picture. But distinctly, three of them are, are more peers in age of Louise than the fourth one. And then I started very closely looking at each of the faces of the young girls and realizing that they appear in the green velvet scrapbook. Well, she has three other sisters. There's Charlotte and Maria and Frederic. And so that just leaves us with the older woman who's standing there hanging on to the biggest pile of laundry. And then it dawns on me, she's wearing a cap. She's married. This is mama. And all of these years, I have been so thrilled that I had a picture of my great grandmother at such a young age, only to discover her mother is standing in the same picture. I'm absolutely convinced of it. This is the family business. These are the Nikolaevskis. And that is not only my great-grandmother, Louise Nikolaevsky, that is her mother, Louise Nikolaevsky. I'll have the photograph for you in the show notes for this episode. Um, and I even have one where I put it into a photo editor and I added the name of each person above them. Uh, to the, my best guess. Now I might not have the girls quite right, but based on ages and birth order, I'm thinking I'm pretty darn close. So the, the moral of this story is that sometimes what you seek, what you're going out into the world and searching all of the databases and all of the websites might be in your own cupboard, in your own scrapbook. Who knows? But continue to challenge yourself to look at things differently, to uh, trust yourself that you've gained a lot of experience over the years and a lot of um, know-how, and that each time you go back and revisit elements of your family history and your family tree, new things will come and appear to you. And that's an exciting day when it does. And I know I've got many more exciting days ahead of me as I um, communicate back and forth with my newly found German cousin. My grandma Burkett would be thrilled. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm so thrilled to finally have a chance to share with you some of the excitement that's been coming out of my own research. And um, so, yes, indeed, I made the decision that my heritage was going to become a, a sponsor of this podcast. Just that one find has been absolutely invaluable and never occurred in all the years that I was involved in other websites. So each one has something unique to offer. And of course, we want to do our due diligence to make sure that they have the value that they're asking for when we pay our subscription fee. But I think that my heritage more than has paid for itself already for me. And if you have ancestors and family trees that go beyond the pond, and chances are you do, <laughs> you will definitely want to take a look at my heritage. I'm very, very proud to say that they are a sponsor of the podcast. And coming up next, I am very proud to say that Lisa Kudrow is here from Who Do You Think You Are? I've got some great news for all you genealogists out there. Roots Magic 6 is now available and it offers some of the most customer requested features like online publishing, the ability to search every record, not just people, an editable timeline view, which is really incredible, and new web tags, which lets you link people, sources, places, and research log items to web pages. Plus, 
dozens of other great enhancements, and of course, all the built-in features that you've come to enjoy. There is a little something here for everyone. Now, if you're already a devoted Roots Magic user like I am, or if you're looking to take the next step in your family history research and finally start recording your family tree in your own genealogy database, or if you've just been wanting to make a switch to a much more user-friendly program, there's no better time to get your copy of Roots Magic 6. Do it now. Go to rootsmagic.com and download your risk-free trial of Roots Magic 6. You'll see why professionals and beginners alike choose Roots Magic at rootsmagic.com. series who do you think you are is celebrating 10 years in the uk that's where it all began and it's um, come over to the u.s as well as made its way to other countries around the world here in the u.s the show is produced by is and isn't entertainment and that is dan bukatinsky who was featured recently on premium episode number 113 and lisa kudrow well-known from the hit TV series Friends. The two of them have teamed up to bring this show to the United States. And Lisa's been on the show here before, and we were so happy to hear that she would like to come back. And so we are thrilled to have her. And um, she's excited to tell all of you Genealogy Gems listeners what's coming up and how she feels about this new second life of Who Do You Think You Are on the TLC channel. Because as you know, it originally aired on NBC. So lots to talk about. And there has been a lot going on. Not only have I been traveling the way I mentioned to you, but actually the day that we had this schedule, this interview scheduled, I ended up being uh, postponed any television taping. And I'm hoping soon I can tell you more about that. But in the meantime, Sonny Morton, our contributing editor here at Genealogy Gems, was kind enough to step in. I didn't have to twist her arm too hard. She was really excited to have an opportunity to uh, really sit down for a good almost half an hour and be able to chat with Lisa about uh, everything that's been going on in the new season. And Sunny has been reporting on some of these early episodes on the Genealogy Gems News blog, so she's perfect for this. So without further ado, let's check in with Sunny Morton of Genealogy Gems and Lisa Kudrow of Who Do You Think You Are? Thank you, Lisa. It's wonderful to have you on the show. I'm really excited to have you back. Absolutely. So back in 2010, you were on our show talking about the launch of Who Do You Think You Are on NBC. Mm -hmm. So how does it feel to have found a successful life, a second life for the show on TLC? Fantastic. I mean, we're so thrilled to be on TLC. And and they're a great network for us, too. They, um, they're, you know, they have really, you don't hear this a lot. They have really smart notes, <laughs> <laughs> but they really do. They- well, I think that I think there's a wonderful fit there. One of the comments I noticed online on um, the uh, recent episode is that a, a, a watcher said they seem to have created a reality show that is meaningful, mm. and people just over and over again thanked uh, thanked you for sharing the stories that yeah. are told. Yeah, I mean, that's always, yeah, you, there's nothing to say to these people who, you know, the subjects who do the show, there's nothing to say but thank you for sharing your ancestry and how they experienced history for us. I mean, the last one, and I was so excited for the McAdams sisters to learn about loyalists because, you know, we don't spend too much time in history, I don't remember, you know, in eighth grade spending too much time learning about what that experience was for them. We always just sort of categorized them as, well, they were wrong. <laughs> we were <Yeah>. right. And that's <laughs> I, not fair. No, it's not. And I think that's a really good um, perspective to come at from the, the American audience point of view. I agree. I loved the British loyalist go to Canada uh, sort of connection. I thought that was really fun. Yeah. And also just learning how, you know, this was a new territory there in New York or Vermont, and so that means they'd spent a lot of time clearing forests and turning it into a farm, and then the war breaks out. 
And then who can blame them, really? They're subjects of the king. They're going to take up arms against their king. That's who they were. Yeah, you know, that episode really made me put myself in the shoes of a loyalist in a way that I never really have. And think about it from the, uh, you know, we talk in our country about being patriots versus being loyalists. And the, the spin that we put on the language is a little different. Right. And that also that you're going to take up arms against the biggest military might of the world. Yeah. I mean, which yeah, it's like it is insanity that what the Patriots did, and we're very proud of that, but you can't fault the other side for thinking this is insanity, <laughs> you know? Yes. You know, another thing that I loved about that episode was the dynamic between the sisters. I know. We've never done that before. We've never had, um, we've never had family members together for the whole journey. So we well, thought we would neat. try it with, with, with the girls, and, and um, I like it. I like, I like that dynamic. I thought that the note, coming from the point of view of somebody who does a lot of family history research, I loved the comment that even between the two sisters, they have different versions of family stories. The stories do come down through the family in different ways. Yeah. It's also, I like watching them um, talk about what they just learned and then sort of um, giving each other ideas about what they just found out, you right. know, ways to look of, at it yeah. and questions and stuff. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I did too. They sort of processed it with each other in a little bit more intimate way, which I think is, is really neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we've got Valerie Bertinelli next week, which is a, a kind of an exceptional episode. Will you tell us any more than that? Yeah, why not? I mean, okay. it's always fun just to see. I don't think I'm ruining any surprises. But, you know, so she's, you know, always identified with the Bertinelli side. Her mother just sort of took on her husband's Italian family. Um, so they don't know much about her mother's side. But there are questions for the Bertinelli's, uh, Valerie's grandmother, her nanny who, who, you know, died. And, and she just wants, you know, there are things they didn't talk about and she'd like to know more. And it's extraordinary. There's a reason there were things they didn't talk about, she finds out, you know? Um, yeah, there often is. There often is, uh, exactly. And also, just so you can see in a newspaper article, and I think this season we have a lot of newspaper articles because you're a genealogy, you know, um, podcast, so I can uh-huh. we can talk about this. And I hate misleading people who are doing their research that, oh, look it up in a newspaper. It's usually not... <laughs> You're usually not going to find your family mentioned in newspapers, you know, but we've been really lucky this season with people finding their families in newspaper articles. And I sometimes worry we make it look like, yeah, look it up in a, that, that happens a lot and it doesn't. Yeah, it's a little more rare. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so precious when we do find it. I love the, um, Cynthia Nixon episode where, you know, that's the newspaper clipping was one thing in the trail that sort of opened her eyes to what happened. Yeah, right. Even though, I mean, personally, I felt like if she murdered her husband, he was probably abusing her. I went straight there. Yeah. But, um, and especially if the children were using her maiden name. Yeah. That he's not a guy they wanted, you know, to have his name. You know, there was more work done on that too. Um, and these episodes, you know, it's only 42 minutes or, you know, whatever it is. But that guy had been married a lot oh. in a small amount of time. And we couldn't find anything about his other wives. No divorce papers, <laughs> but no, we couldn't find anything about what happened to them and the circumstances of their <laughs> marriages. It makes me wonder. Uh, it makes me yeah. It makes me feel like the threat to her maybe was a little more real. Um, yeah. And how, who did she save? Maybe. Right. And what is wow. the sacrifice? Because she's a woman. And of course, she has to be punished. Oh, so unfair. But anyway. You know, um, yeah. When, you know, when they pulled out the narrative written by her ancestor's prison mate, the whole episode just jumped to a new level. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Who gets to have that, too? But, you know, she, that was historically significant. She was the second woman to be imprisoned. Wow. And they didn't have, a, they didn't have female prisons in 1843. You know, you get to choose your guests, but you don't get to choose their ancestors. Right. And part of me feels like you just you don't even know what you're getting into sometimes. 
Right. So how do you keep the, the, the each season and each show sort of fresh and exciting when you have no idea what the discoveries are going to be? Um, well, yeah, usually, I don't know. I think maybe we've been lucky, but maybe research has also focused on, you know, on, on different things. But I think, yeah, because they found this, so I don't think they went back much further. I mean, I guess we... We there wasn't really a civil war story because um, Cynthia Nixon's, uh, you know, the uncle yeah. Noah Casto, the who died, you know, he died of disease, which yeah. happened a lot during the civil war, and yeah. you know, while that's interesting information, it's not a whole episode. Right, but well, you found your story, that's for sure. Right. So have yeah. have you had have you had a story or a guest this season where your researchers really had to pull out all the stops? To flesh out a story where that was really compelling. Um, in the past, that's happened. We we've had more time in the past, and you know, so far um, we haven't had a a ton of time. So it's it's the work they've done has been nothing short of a miracle, because it's been a very short amount of time they've had to find documents and 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 uh, you know that generate story for for the shows we've had on TLC. Um, but I think that's why also, you know, we're about to have more diversity because we have another uh, round coming up. Okay. But these past two seasons, we haven't really had much diversity because those stories, we haven't had any African-American stories, any, we really haven't ever, we've always been looking for some Latino story or an Asian story. And, you know, I think we will be able to do that coming up soon. Um, and, uh, you know, um, Eastern European Jewish stories are very hard. Also, yeah. Irish stories are really hard. I mean, I'm sure you know all this, you know, when, yeah. when you have, yeah. you know, peasants that just aren't recorded in history. It's really right. hard. Well, and I think some of the things that are most compelling to me is that there are some of those um, ethnic groups you mentioned, they know that they're going to hit tragedy within a few generations. They're yeah. going to hit really hard stories yeah. and there may not be a very good document trail. And yet we see uh, you know, we see people very persistent and they learn how to work with the documents that exist and uncover just amazing pieces of history that have been forgotten. Right. Yeah. But it takes time. So that's one of the things that. You know, I'm I'm glad because we've had time for this second round that's coming up, and the people haven't been announced yet, so I don't think okay. I'm you know at liberty to okay. say. But we have had more time, so there will be more more that's diversity. Exciting. I'm so happy to report because okay. it's really been missing to, for me, you know. Okay. And I think right. for well, a lot of people cool. too, you know. Yeah. It's been missing, and it's also just interest interesting to. Just get another point of view. Look, we had Canada the other night, and that was oh, yeah, that was cool. Never thought of it that way. Yeah. So yeah. So um, kind of speaking of your the guests you've had so far, maybe so far this season, or maybe throughout the show, um, who of your guests have been maybe particularly moved or um, transformed by their participation in the show and the discoveries they've made? Oh well, you know what? Um, most have. That's neat. Most have, I have to say, either, you know, they were so enthusiastic going into it or they were enthusiastic. Some people were, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm interested in doing that. And then the process of it, realizing, oh, boy, this is uh, this is hard. Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, it's not an easy world and it, it never has been. So. When you look at the things our ancestors endured, and that's the reason we're here, because they did endure it, you know, it's very moving. And yeah. and then the human condition, having to look at that and that it's in your family line, it's 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 tough. It's really tough. And it, I think it makes people really grateful. And then just also just, you know, understanding that, oof, yeah, it's hard. It's a hard world. <laughs> But yeah, I agree. but it's so inspiring how people endure and survive and carry on and then, you know, have tried to make things a little better for the next generation coming along. Yes. Yes, that's true. So I think everybody has been impacted, whether it's 
before the journey, excited to do it, on the journey, or afterward, once it's all being processed, they're processing all of it and come out and think, oh my God, I'm glad I did that. I know I complained a bit <laughs> while I was there, but boy, I'm glad I did that. Mm-hmm. We'll have more of our interview with Lisa Kudrow Who Do You Think You Are? right after this. Our sponsor for this episode is My Heritage. Now, I know that you tune in to the Genealogy Gems podcast because you know that I'm going to carefully vet the products that come across my desk. And I'm only going to bring to this show the ones that I really think are the real gems. Well, MyHeritage.com is in that category, and I couldn't be happier that they've signed on to support and sponsor this free podcast. I've spent the last several months really digging into my heritage, and I found some powerful tools that I think you really need in your genealogy tool belt. First of all, they have over 70 million members worldwide. If you're serious about making connections in the country where your ancestors once lived, hands down, my heritage is the place that you want to be. Get your tree posted on their website and start to see the magic as they automatically match it up with other trees, not just with genealogists in the country where you live, but genealogists around the world. Then there's My Heritage's unique and powerful search system. It's called Record Matches. It constantly calls 5 billion historical records for your family. It's the only family history interface out there using semantic analysis to search newspaper articles, books, and other free text documents. It's also the first to translate names between languages. And I personally like that the matches from the historical newspaper collection at MyHeritage, they show up towards the top of the results list. So visit MyHeritage.com. It's free to get started, so there's really no reason to wait. And there are billions of reasons to try it out. Visit MyHeritage.com. have a degree in biology yeah. from Boston. Yeah. So have you ever considered doing a totally DNA-focused episode? Um, no. Okay. We haven't. Interesting. Okay. I know. I think, but you know what, because I think also the science is getting better, and when we first started, it wasn't, I don't think anyone was convinced it was fully there yet. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's fully there yet now. I think that most um, really responsible researchers just use it as a tool to ask specific questions. Yeah, but I'm still hearing crazy stories from people who are (laughs) like, you know, no, I'm, you know, 3% Scandinavian and Uh like, okay. Yes, or I'm related to every other Jewish or or person on the planet. Yeah. I mean, there's some crazy stuff coming out of it that I don't know what we would do with that information because if if 3% is not a lot... So I think you've done a really beautiful job at weaving together those storylines. It's just been, it's been really neat to, to watch them come together on the show. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and some great ones coming up. Like I said, Valerie Bertinelli. Mm-hmm. And then she did work for her mother, who knows absolutely nothing. Huh. And okay. there was a lot that she got to bring okay. back for her that's extraordinary. And Kelsey Grammer's after that, which is um, one of those, yep, life is hard. And then, <laughs> you know. And then yeah. it's really redemptive after that, you know, because his family Neat. were pioneers. And then Minnie Driver, which is a little more it's mm-hmm. recent. It's about her father. She just didn't know much about her father. You know, I think that's just so common, mm-hmm. um, getting to be a more common theme in younger generations yeah. today. Just the search for roots is, is sometimes very, uh, very first generation. Yeah. I mean, it's it, usually the motivation is, not usually. I mean, there's so many different reasons that people want to do this. Either it's because I want to understand why my family is the way they are. Mm-hmm. Or it's I want to know how far back I can go and, and what my family's place in history was, if any, you know. Yeah. So there's a lot of different reasons for doing it, but they're That's usually neat. surprised. So 
Who Do You Think You Are is a perfect fit for our podcast, and it's our main interest. But um, our listeners may not realize exactly how busy you are and all the different projects you're working on. Do you mind if we talk about a couple of the other ones? Sure. Great. So I understand you're taking, you're once again taking on the role of Valerie in the combat. Right. Um, so will you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. So we were on nine years ago and got canceled after one season, but people, it turns out, really liked and appreciated the show. And to HBO's credit, this year, they said, let's do more. <laughs> let's have an event where we see what Valerie's been up to. So Michael Patrick King and I got back together and, and came up with like around six episodes. And we finished shooting it, and now it's being edited. That's exciting. I know. It was very, it was really fun. That was great. So, except for uh, Star Trek, I don't know of other series that get resurrected nine years later. I know. <laughs> Maybe you should do one season every decade documenting Valerie's life from yeah. here on out. Um, great. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't okay, want to so, see that red wig on that my face ten years from now. <laughs> okay. So, of course, you also do your Showtime show called Web Therapy. Yeah, that's on soon, too. Yes. So did this this started out as an online show around the time you started producing Who Do You Think You Are? Yeah. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what you enjoy about doing that show. Well, that show is improvised. We have an outline, and Uh then we get phenomenal actors to come and improvise with us. And it's fun because... You know, it's not often actors get to just talk to each other, and that's what the scene's about. No, not since My Dinner with Andre, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. you know that movie, My Dinner with Andre? Anyway. Um, and so it's just really it's just really fun, and we really love doing that show. This seems to be a theme with you a little bit, of a little bit outside of the box um, entertainment, where the um, the actors, the people on screen, are really themselves and um, they're they're working from within themselves rather than a totally boxed in script that's neat yeah it's really fun I mean it's just I mean, that's, we see that in who do you think you are you know that they're responding from their own uh, experiences they're having right no I mean look after doing friends <laughs> I, I I don't need to try to do another show like that because I did it and I don't know if it can be better than that you know what I mean? That yeah. was a phenomenal experience for me. That's with nice. everybody I worked with, 10 years every day laughing my head off and loving everybody I was with. And it was a great show. So I am so grateful for that that I want to, you know, in full appreciation of, you know, getting to do that and not having to worry about, you know, paying a mortgage or anything else – then I want to do things that are really different and really fun. And, you know, whoever likes it, then that's just great. (laughs) Well, you are doing things that are really fun and different, and I think your audiences really appreciate it. Oh, good. That's good. (laughs) I know, I do. No, it's good um, because we want to keep doing more, you know. I mean, especially who do you think you are. It's such a great – I, you know, I didn't create this show. That's Alex Graham in the U.K., and I'm just so happy it's on in this country and that, you know, originally it was a really tough sell. He tried to sell it, you know, to different networks. And the the pushback was American audiences won't be interested in that. They don't like historical documentaries. And that's just not true, obviously. But it's just not yeah. true. American audiences, yeah, they are smart and they are interested in history and how personal history can be made and how you can only get there through looking at someone's genealogy for this show and they do appreciate it. So I like that. I like that a lot saying, no, no, American audiences, they're deep and thoughtful and, and appreciate things like this. Well, thank you for believing in us. Well, you're welcome. That's enough to do this show. I do believe so, in you. <laughs> uh, tell me specifically with who do you think you are? Why do you think this show um, continues to be so compelling to audiences? It kind of gets at what we've been talking about a right, little bit. Right, because it's personalizing history. 
you know, that there are these big events that we learn about in school, but they affected human beings, and there's a story for every human being. And I think for any of us who were in school, the parts of history we remember best are remembered because it was accompanied with a personal story. Yeah. You know, that we could Uh relate to as human beings. So that's what this show is doing. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, that's what it's doing. So... And everybody has a story, whether it's in records and we can tell it or you can find it out is another thing. But we have to know if there were human beings alive, there was a story. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So it strikes me that, okay, so you mentioned Friends a few minutes ago. And so not only have you been in one of the most popular shows of all time, which is itself quite a feat. Mm -hmm. So but you have had uh, not one, but two shows that you've produced so popular that they've been brought back after being canceled. It's kind of a cliche question, but what in the world do you think the secret of your success is? Hmm. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know that it's a secret. I think you pay attention to content and something that's meaningful for you. And I think luckily now, you know, a, a television audience is so diverse. I mean, there's so many channels now that you will find enough of an audience to keep it on the air. That's the goal. That's marvelous. Yeah. Well, and I think that, that your answer to the previous question about there's a story behind every show, every episode of who do you think you are? There's not one, but two. You've got the ancestral story and the, your celebrity story. Um, you, you're focusing on that and you're telling the stories. And as you said, you're finding meaning in those for your audiences. Yeah. And whatever the meaning for the person is too, which is up to them. All history yeah. is interpreted anyway. So, you know, if a subject wants to decide, you know, whatever information they're given and they can fill in the blanks any way they want. Yes. You know, and I think we're all looking for that. Yes, I think so. Yeah. So speaking of filling in the blanks, um, since you started on your own family history journey, I'm not sure how much time that you or your dad have these days to continue that. Have you discovered any other actors or highly creative people or other people that you connect with in your family tree? No. Mm-mm. Oh, I haven't. I mean, I don't know. You know, we can't go. We're not, we don't, we're not really able to go back much past, you know, 1890. Okay. Right. Like my great grandmother. Okay. Um, although there are mu- talented musicians on my father's side. Interesting. Yeah. That came over and came back and forth um, as a musician And then his son settled here, and then that started a whole line of people that ultimately brought my grandmother over. That's interesting because that's a highly, that's kind of a performance art. And so that is something you have to have a real consciousness of your audience in order to do well, I think. Yeah, I think so. And then one of those cousins that I have, um, he's, his name's Harold Farberman. He's a conductor and composer. Oh, neat. Like a well-known. Yeah, yeah. So it's strong. It's definitely music, and it's very strong in him okay. as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I don't Lisa, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I know your time is short, and I'd just like to ask you one more question here at the end. I really thank you for your time mm-hmm. here on the Genealogy Gems podcast. But um, it just um, hit the news waves about a week ago that you and Mayor Sorvino are possibly game to do a Romy and Michelle's High School reunion reunion. So who do we need to write emails to to make that happen? Is it is it true? Disney is really considering it? Not that I know of. Okay. Not that I know of. I don't know that they're considering it. I mean, we went to them a long time ago with a uh-huh. great idea. You know, Romy and Michelle get married. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> now it would be Romy and Michelle get divorced. I don't know. But, um, yeah, no, but they, they passed back then. Okay. So, But who knows? Right, well, I don't know. People like that. Movie. Yeah, they, they really do. Uh, we certainly have plenty to keep you busy. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Lisa, spending it here with us on the Genealogy Gems podcast. Good luck to everything you do, and we can't wait to see the next episode. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining me for this Genealogy Gems podcast episode number 170. And thank you again to Lisa Kudrow for joining us here on the show. It's 
always fun to have her on. She's so generous with her time and uh, great to hear about the new season. And certainly, um, as this one wraps up, we can look forward to the next set of episodes that are already in the works. And a quick note, uh, it is August of 2014 as we record this podcast episode. And if you're going to be in the San Antonio, Texas area, at the end of this month, the Federation of Genealogical Societies Conference is going to be held in San Antonio, August 27th through the 30th. Now, I'm going to be there and I'll be teaching classes and uh, all the, the standard things. But I wanted to let you know that at the Genealogy Gems booth in the exhibit hall, we're teaming up once again with Maureen Taylor, the photo detective, and Janet Havorka, the chart chick from Family Chart Masters, to uh, put on some uh, really exciting short and quick tip sessions. We call them outside the box training sessions in the exhibit hall. The exhibit hall is free of charge. And uh, even if you're just stopping in for the day, um, come on by the exhibit hall, take a look at all the wonderful genealogy exhibitors and come by our booth because we're going to be running uh, these sessions every day throughout the conference. And in fact, there'll be a couple of full-length classes as well. So, so much to choose from, uh, so many things to get involved with, even if you're not attending the full conference, which of course I hope that you are. Head to the show notes for this episode, uh, episode number 170. I'll have the full schedule there for you. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.